Hey, hi, hello, y'all. This is RB, your fluent Midwestian, welcoming you to Take the Last Bite, a show where we take Midwest nice, drop it off at a remote campsite with no cell phone service, and let this year's seagull-sized mosquitoes descend upon them like a thick blanket of pin needles. I'm itchy just thinking about it. On today's episode, we talk about the favorite pastime of gay folks everywhere, brunch. But before we order off the secret menu, I'd actually like to share a bit about my own cooking journey. When I think about emerging into both my queerness and my relationship with food and being a vegetarian, there's some key similarities that are easy to map onto the trajectory of my own life. One, people thought I was faking it or that it was just a phase I would grow out of. My dad, to this day, insists that watching the documentary Supersize Me in middle school health class turned kids my age into vegetarians. Two, it can feel uncomfortable or unwelcome when these aspects of myself are not considered or cared about in certain spaces. And three, I had to navigate learning more about these aspects of myself entirely on my own until I finally found connections with people who shared similar interests. The way this showed up for me in high school when I first became a vegetarian was literally prompted by making sure I had something to eat. If I wanted to have something besides mashed potatoes or salads for dinner, I had to learn how to cook things for myself. Being a vegetarian in the early 2000s was tricky. There wasn't a lot of already meatless options at most restaurants and only one or two brands of plant-based burgers. This need for variety and truly vegetarian options, I cannot tell you how many times I bought cans of vegetable soup during this time just to realize it contained meat juices, uh, sparked a creative exploration for me to expand my food possibilities. And nowadays, I have a wide repertoire of home-cooked recipes for myself and my carnivorous partner that we can both enjoy. One food dream I have combines my love of queer community and a tasty meal, a queer and trans food expo that combines survival skills, health and wellness, an homage to the not always openly gay folks who've made huge marks on the food industry like James Beard, who was infamous for throwing a dinner party like no other. A place where queer folks especially those who have a strained relationship with family who traditionally pass down recipes and ways of making food as a skill, as a gesture of love, as a thing that brings people together. And just having a big gay food expo where we can learn from each other in ways that I feel I had to learn for myself on how to make food that tastes good and makes me happy and now makes other people happy too. Today's guest knows the importance of sitting down for a plate of food surrounded by incredible friends and chosen family. And they also know how to make that plate of food pretty damn delicious. Chef Katie Randazzo and I talk about Taco Bell Pizza Hut crossovers on a stick, feeding filthy biscuits to Dan Levy, and their food dream of opening an affirming space for trans and non-binary youth to play with food. Sink your teeth into this episode of Take the Last Bite. Why can't we be in space with hundreds of other queer and trans folks and having these necessary conversations? When it comes to dynamics around privilege and oppression and around identity, well-intentioned isn't actually good enough. How far is too far to drive for a drag show? I don't know, we're in Duluth right now. I would straight up go to Nebraska, probably. (laughs) If you are not vibing or something's not right, or also like there's an irreparable rupture, you have absolutely every right to walk away. Definitely going to talk about Midwest Nice, and if that's if that's um, as real as it wants to think it is, Midwest Nice is white aggression. That's what it is. All right, I am so so stoked about this. Like in a fan slash just fam nerding type of way, super excited about this. Um, so let's just get right into it. I'm just so sure that this conversation will go in five million places. We've got some goalposts. We'll get there, but. <laughs> Um, wherever we go. We'll see what um, happens. <laughs> exactly. Um, so why don't we start with a quick introduction, right? Who are you? Um, and if you can add in that uh, intro, what is your relationship to the Midwest? 
Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is Katie Randazzo. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. Uh, formerly, I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio, and now I live in Los Angeles, California. And I would say my, we say my connection to the Midwest. Yeah. Is that, it's where I'm from. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's where I'm from and it's just so inherently a part of me, mm -hmm. uh, of my personality, of my um, uh, hospitality, um, it's just, it's so many, it's so many things. Yes. It's really hard to like narrow that down into a nutshell, but I love being from the Midwest and I'm very proud to be from Ohio. Yes. I feel that. I feel the like, you can't really explain the Midwest to anyone who's not in the Midwest, but we mm -hmm. ask this question of everybody who comes on and like everybody's answer is just so different in such a great way. Um, but I also know exactly what you, what you just said about just like, it is kind of the, the guiding light of all things. Just, it yeah. means something to be from the Midwest, which is also a lot about what this podcast is for because folks don't understand that, you know? Yeah, it's really special to be from the Midwest. Like mm -hmm. I think kind of give it a little bit of a knock yes. but there's so much personality there's so much character there's so much hospitality mm -hmm. um great manners <laughs> <laughs> sometimes like, yeah <laughs> you know but there's also the assholes and the exactly. you know the people that you don't want to associate yourself with so but when you land in the right pocket you're in a really good place yes so let's talk about let's talk about your kind of like emergence into food did it start in columbus or did it kind yeah. of yeah, let's yeah. so I'm trying to figure out how to like yep put this into uh, cliff notes, if you will. Sure. Uh, my mom was like one of those people who was ahead of her times with food. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm a product of the '80s, and like most kids around me in the '80s were eating like Chef Boardie and like getting yes. pizza delivered and like nacho, like uh, not nachos, Doritos, and mm -hmm. like you know, shit from a can, process, yes. quick, stuff like that. But my mom, uh, we had a garden. We grew, like, mostly all of our own vegetables. Everything was whole wheat, organic, all that stuff. So, and then we were, she was always putting fun and different and unique food in front of us. And so as a child of the 80s, you know, I was pissed that I couldn't have little Debbies and mac and cheese <laughs> You know, and I couldn't trade my lunch with anybody. And when my friends would come over, they would pack like, uh, like uh, apocalypse bags of like goodies, you yes. know. And when my cousins would come over there, my aunt would send them with like a grab bag as well, because everyone was like, what the fuck is this shit? Uh, and, you know, and it, it, I was grumpy and frustrated yeah. because I wanted those other things. But like, you know, and then... um. I, so pre, keep that in mind. And then yes. I, my first job was at, at Dairy Queen when I was fifteen or, 15 or 16 years old. And I was hooked. I was just hooked. I loved making the Coney dogs. I loved making the blizzards. I loved the act of service. I loved watching people get instantly happy when I handed mm -hmm. them something that they were craving. Um, and it was also one of the first places as a queer person, although I didn't know I was queer. Well, I knew, but I was raised Pentecostal and so it was oh yeah so it took a little bit of time but like holding on to that secret and being in an environment where like people didn't care who you were they just yeah. wanted you to show up and do a good job mm -hmm. so it was kind of one of the first places that I could start to get comfortable and get comfortable in my own skin and start that process of coming out um and then I just never looked back I've been in restaurants since I was 16 years old um, and as I, as I moved from chain to chain restaurant, because Columbus is actually the fast food, uh, chain capital. I didn't know if you knew that. Oh, no. Fun fact. It's okay. Fast casual fast food test market for the country. Okay. So they're everywhere. And then as I progressed through all of those, and then finally started making it into more like from scratch, fine dining, the way that I was brought up, it all kind of clicked. Um, it, it, and so that's where I, you know, even though I was angry and grumpy with my mother at the time, I'm very grateful to her for introducing and putting all these things in my life that as an adult and as a chef, I like know, recognize, know how to work with and familiar with. So mm -hmm. I can turn, I like to turn my food from uh, classy to trashy, from trashy to classy. Beautiful. So I take all the junk food that I wanted when I was a kid 
And then I use the ingredients that my mom raised me with mm-hmm. and turn it into something that's a little bit more health conscious. Mm-hmm. I love that. Do you um do you ever watch uh what's it Fast Foodies the show? I don't. Watch oh, that. highly recommend. So it's right, Justin Sutherland and Christine Pierce. I do love Pierce. Justin Sutherland. I so know. Much. So both of those two together is a majestic. And I can't remember the other chef's name off the top of my head. But the premise there is they bring in like a, a guest, and then the guest had like you know, talks about their favorite fast food and then they have to replicate it as one part of like their self-proclaimed challenge. And then the second set, I know this is like right up your alley. The second set is that they kind of like make a high-end version that is reminiscent of the tastes of whatever um, the fast food item is. So they've done like Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, or maybe it was Donald. I love Taco Bell yes. so hard. <laughs> yeah, no, I see that in your bio and I'm just like, we are the same person. I Yes, they're building a it's Taco Bell. It's the healthiest fast food, y'all. I'm telling you, it like the vegetarian too. Like it's, I get so many more options. I can, you know, I can eat a veggie burger any day. Hook me up with every type of bean wrapped in every type of tortilla you can. Anyway, (laughs) hell yeah, (laughs) ten out of ten would recommend fast foodies. But I I think that I think that in itself is such a Midwest thing, right? Like we, like anywhere you go, any like exit you go off of, if it's got that sign that says it has McDonald's and a Taco Bell and probably a Dairy Queen, like you, that's, that's the, yes, yes, Subway. Yes, that is the, like, you're going to find the same collective of those same places everywhere you go in the Midwest, regardless of where you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that is the food. Um, and so when I like the idea of just not necessarily, you know, sticking our noses up at the fast food, like there's ways to, transcend it into something healthier or health conscious or just enjoy the like indulgence of the taco bell because i do that maybe three times a week uh indulgence like i think fast food gets such a bad rap um but like if it's minimized and you know you know you're not doing it like all the time you should be able to enjoy that also like coming up in fast food as a chef it taught me consistency it taught me speed it taught me accuracy mm-hmm. and as like a manager and, a, and a, an owner it taught me systems and processes and like it shouldn't get knocked as hard as it does like i'm grateful that my come up was through fast food mm-hmm. when i worked in new york my uh workmates gave me a lot of grief about it because uh-huh. i had a lot of crazy stories from when i worked at joe's crab shack but <laughs> Well, they all came from like per se and all these like super fancy restaurants. And I'm like, yeah, I spent six years at Joe's Crab Shack. So (laughs) totally on the same level. Um, I like the idea too. Not, I mean, I guess I don't like the idea because it's kind of a a catch 22, but like you named, and I've seen that you name this in other kind of articles and interviews too, right? Like that fast food slash food service was a place where you felt a sense of belonging. And then as you emerged and came into an understanding of queerness, like that was a place where you were held in that fullness in a way that sounds like it was very affirming and comfortable for you. Can you talk a bit about that? And just like when the light bulb went off, how like being in the food industry kind of like nestled that for you? Like, what was that like? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess I, I, you know, I came out as bisexual first because I feel like almost everybody does, it's right? A step. It's, it's a step. It's a step. I was like, I'm going to put my toe in the water and see how my people around me react. Yeah. Um, and I remember I was working at Joe's Crab Shack at the time and I came out to my workmates and they're like, yeah, we don't care. Just run this food over to table 27. <laughs> Watch out. That kid's a spitter, right? Like... <laughs> So like that, like, and they're like, yeah, we don't, we don't fucking, we love you. We don't care. Like there's queer people all around us, you know? And I think it was, I'm trying to find my words. The, 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 the beautiful, the thing that I find the most beautiful about working in restaurants is the family that gets created and the, and it's dysfunctional and it's messy, but like at the end of the day, everyone's there for each other. And that's what that's what happened for me in this environment when I came out as bisexual first for like three days. And I was like, I'm full blown lesbian. Um, You know, it it took me a little bit more time to get to the non-binary just because of my uh, my religious upbringing. And I was terrified of of um, my mom just like Mm. not being able to understand or accept Mm -hmm. or hurting her. Um, So. Yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? I guess like <laughs> I'm getting a little bit lost and maybe I have to my talk to my therapist after this, but oh, sorry. Like, <laughs> no, it's okay. Um but 
I felt this automatic sense of belonging. There was no judgment. Uh, people did not care. They just wanted to see me happy and they wanted me to show up and do my job. And I was still part of the family. So it made that process of coming out to my family a lot easier mm -hmm. uh, because I already had support in another way. Mm -hmm. um, and when I told my, my step, my bonus mom, she was like, yeah, we've known since you were five. Like, why do you think we always had the gay pride parade on TV? Because I had this very dynamic where my mother um, is, she doesn't like to say, she doesn't like the word religious. She doesn't like the word Pentecostal. Um, she doesn't like the word spiritual, but she has a very close connection with God in ways where she, in, in very close connection with God that we can get into another time. Um, and my dad and my bonus mom are very liberal. So I was like, right. I, I had this other view into the world, but, it, but they were also very respectful at the same time of honoring the way my mom wanted to raise us. So it was, you know, they wouldn't shove things in my face, but they would like have the gay pride parade on TV in the background. It's just like subliminally there. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and my dad was like, yeah, well, it's not what I would do, but you know, I'm not you. And my mom fasted for 40 days. So, <laughs> Lord. And my siblings were very, um, very supportive and still are very supportive to this day. So, mm -hmm. and my mom is great. Uh, it took a lot of a lot of work okay. um, and a lot of communication, a lot of hard conversations, but but we got there. That was a very long-winded answer to your question. I mean, not, there's no point in time I think a queer person is going to get asked like how they emerge into their queerness, and it's going to be a simple, easy story. So I think yeah. that you're kind of little like the spokes of all the things kind of compounding, you know. And it it sounds like kind of as you were, you know, working at Dairy Queen and like Joe's Crab Shack and everywhere else, you've kind of uh, bopped around in food, like kind of warmed you up to figuring out like how do I deliver this information or how I do I have this conversation or like, what are folks like just kind of getting that initial reaction from other people, not to necessarily desensitize, but just to kind of get that first, first hit of like, what does it look like when I, when I say this to other people, like what is sure. going to be the experience that maybe then warmed up to being able to, to navigate having a conversation with conversation with parents. I am someone who like didn't have that opportunity. I had a maternal birth giver who decided she was just going to Google what I was up to in Kansas city when I left for college and she didn't like what she found. I wasn't doing anything ridiculous. So I like, I didn't have like, I didn't have control over exactly how that information was delivered and um, things have uh, transpired and gotten weirder since then. But like, you know, having at least, yeah, you know, you know, it probably was the best way. <laughs> But then we always have chosen family, you know? So. Exactly, exactly. And I think the the ways in which we find that, you know, are so multiplicitous, right, for you, like food spaces. I know for me, going to college was kind of the first time I felt like, like I'd known other gay people, but it was mostly gay men when I still lived in St. Louis, Missouri. And so then moving away for college, I was like, oh, I'm not being monitored or watched or the people I'm associating with aren't necessarily being as closely watched because I have family in, you know, at home. And just changed everything for me. Um, it also yeah, reminds you, me. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. no <laughs> Tangent, tangenting away. I was reminded to we. Um, I think it was in our first season of the show. We brought um a few queer folks who uh, work in like the micro brewery like industry. Um, most all of which were based in Minneapolis. And I just very much remember and appreciated being in conversation with them about how like there's so much, even though like from a, a safety perspective, right? You have to take the the item you're creating very seriously. There's mm -hmm. a lot of play and malleability and like just newness and freshness. And that there's a lot of queer folks who gravitate towards hospitality, A, because there's just so many job opportunities, but like we are very highly saturated in those fields, but maybe not mm -hmm. always seen in that way, right? Like we don't, you know, we're not getting the primetime TV slot shows necessarily. And I, I definitely want to get to that point about representation eventually too, but I, I'm kind of connecting to the conversation with those microbrewer folks of just how different it feels to kind of have some level of control and comfort in their workspace that doesn't yeah. always come with, you know, your standard corporate nine to five job. So making some connections there for sure. 100%. 100%. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, okay, so we're at Joe's Crab Shack um, circa some time of year. Um, what are some of the, you know, we'll get there. Maybe, yeah. Time is fake. Yeah. 
you know, and I came out, I came out as bisexual. And then like two days later, I was like, I'm full blown gay. And I had, I had always known that there was something different about me. Um, and when I came out as lesbian, um, God, I, I, I think I came out before, I think I came out to some friends before Joe's, but really came out like at, like at Joe's. Um, but I always knew there was something more, but I didn't know what it was. Yeah. It wasn't visible. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only like super butch women um, or super femme women. There was nothing in that like little in between or there was or, you know, only or trans. Yeah. And I didn't feel like I was necessarily trans, but I didn't feel like I was necessarily a lesbian. And I for a very long time, um, I just hung out in this space of like, well, it just has to be good enough because I don't know what my other options are. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to deal with Mm-hmm. which led to like a lot of self-hate a lot a lot of self-deprecation a lot of self-medication which i like to call them the selves <laughs> uh, came to, um and it wasn't until i um was on i was on a dating app um and i met this girl named hannah and she and i are incredible friends and um and she is a uh, she was a surgeon for the queer and trans uh, surgeon for the queer and trans community and still is a doctor for the queer and trans community she's amazing um and we just kind of started talking and she just naturally started using they them pronouns with me and I was like oh this feels so good and I'd like been thinking about it for a while and kind of been like exploring what non-binary meant I was like oh this feels right this feels good this feels like what I am mm-hmm. so it wasn't until my 40s actually that I came out as non-binary uh so not not that long ago mm-hmm. just never too late to figure out who you are no it's not no it's not and then just you know I think uh a lot of our focus with like the work we do for Midwest queer and trans youth through the institute you know we we're very mindful of like our rural queer communities right not to say that those always have a dearth of like access and resources but they're not always paid attention to with like political lobbying monies or certain types of access and resources and the the variety of access and resources maybe aren't always as substantive substantive um and so we talk a lot about like possibility models and how folks are able to even see what all their options are you know where i live it's technically a city but it is just surrounded by rural ruralness um right. and i encounter a lot of students like doing the work that i do where they kind of come in and they have this very prescribed understanding of what, like being trans or queer is necessarily supposed to mean and so i find that a lot of my labor really revolves around like not discouraging them but kind of getting them to to slow down just a skosh to kind of look at like where have you current like where have you collected your information up to this point um to be able to make informed decisions that make sense for you so like truly looking at the menu and not thinking that there's like this amazon wish list or checklist of ways of things that they need to like work through to then achieve their you know personal image of what they want to be as a trans person and that gets tricky because it's usually rooted in they've only ever seen they you know they've read a couple things or they've seen a couple things and there's plenty of information on the internet that's a great you know a great thing that probably didn't exist in quite the way it did right you know 30 40 years ago and um, it still means that they don't necessarily get to like metabolize that information with someone. They just kind of have to to figure out what that means for them. And that's still a really unfortunate, yeah. complicated experience for folks. Cause yeah, I think a lot of people think where you either have to be option A, B, C, or D, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have then they're hard cut out, and this is exactly what it is, and this is what you have to look like, and this is how you have to act. Yeah. This is how you have to be, but they don't realize, like, hey, you can mix A with F. You can make C with B, right? Like you don't have to be this idea of this cookie cutter thing. Like explore your feelings and don't be afraid of your feelings and talk about them and talk to other Mm -hmm. people and do the research and figure out because you don't have to just be put into one box necessarily. Like we've worked so hard to get out of those boxes. Let's let's explore them more. Let's like dig into it, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly, (laughs) exactly. It's all related. It is all related. <laughs> this is called Take the Last Bite. We're talking about food and um gayness at the same time. Yeah. Uh, it's beautiful. Um, there was a thought that I had and it went away. And I want to 
No, that's not you. That's me. Um, oh, it was another connection. I think think uh, uh, talking to the brewers um, once upon a time is we kind of talked about like hos uh, hospitality culture also mm -hmm. having its limitations because things are very gendered. And I guess I'm curious, like, what has been your experience? Um, you know, emerging into your non-binary identity and kind of being in spaces where the professionalization of food service can sometimes impose like, yes, sir, no, ma'am, et cetera. And like how that has uh, shaped out for you. Well, I'll say um, that's a very good question. <laughs> I, I fortunately have been in environments where I've been able to control that narrative. Beautiful. Um, so like I used to have, I opened my own, restaurant in 2018 called Ambrose and Eve mm -hmm. sadly did not make it through COVID mm -hmm. um but one of the things we worked with our front of house staff on and this is before I came out as non-binary but I had been misgendered my entire life um and uh there was an instance when I was my former business partner and I were in Washington DC where I got mis no we were in New York and I got misgendered pretty hard. And even after I corrected the bartender, he continued to misgender me and was pretty aggressive mm -hmm. about it. Um, and so in that moment, we decided that we would not use pronouns in our restaurant for our guests. Someone came to the tables. How is everyone doing today? How are y'all? Um, and so that no one would ever unintentionally feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm everyone would always feel welcome. And that's something that I, you know, have tried to do in the places that I have worked since as executive chef and as managers. Um, Cause I think it's really important because, you know, we don't have, I, I, I think like we kind of have a responsibility to change the narrative for ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Right. And like, there's ways that you can talk about it. Um, and educate people without being aggressive to make them feel comfortable as well, because mm -hmm. it's just as equally uncomfortable for others as it is for us sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes too, I'll just go when I introduce myself, I start a new job. Hi, my name is Katie. My pronouns are they, them. If you have any questions, please let me know. I'm open to talking about it. Um, and since moving to California, it's been pretty easy too, because <laughs> it's definitely just like a more liberal, more liberal space. Yeah. So I personally haven't had too many run-ins with it. And I just do my best to educate and to change the narrative in the moments when I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, th I think that's super valuable. And like, on one hand, it really sucks when we kind of have to like take on the additional role of like educating in spaces where like, oh, I'm just trying to come in and eat my meal like everybody else or get my drink like everyone else. And it's sometimes not that simple. And we pick that battle if we're like the customer at that point. Right. So yeah. I think there's so much value in kind of folks being proactive and thinking about like, how does the experience of being in this restaurant or being at this bar or being at this truck, like food, like where, wherever you're like interacting with yeah. people, like what is that experience going to be? Because I, you know, I've had plenty of instances where the server thought they were doing nothing obscene and they came back after running all of our cards for our, you know, meal and is reading off people's names off of debit cards, trying to like give them back. And right. I'm like, no, like you just like said a name that I hate because I haven't legally yeah, changed it yeah. to this whole table of people and you you were none the wiser right so just like yeah. it's, it's often innocent innocent unaware you know things but it makes such a huge difference because that person will not think twice about that interaction I will remember that for the rest of the day that's, and decide if I ever go back to that restaurant I think this is a larger conversation that a lot of restaurateurs and chefs and owners should be having too like because some of their um like some like hmm, I had a really good like two things one yes. like some people will be like well what do I do when I walk up to a table of people that are eating like hi my name is so-and-so I'll be your server today what are all your pronouns right <laughs> and be like a little like awkward and uncomfortable but I do think the narrative is just like training and and not training but pivoting to just not using gender pronouns when you're greeting people because you right. never know um it, it's funny too because at the last job I had as an executive chef I also was like there it was a little cafe and I was very interactive with the, a lot of the customer base mm -hmm. and um, I know that I I'm pretty androgynous and can be a little confusing to people sometimes and a gentleman uh heard my name Katie and called me ma'am 
And I was like, actually, my pronouns are they, them. And I just, like, well, for whatever reason in that moment, I wanted to have the conversation with him. I don't want to judge him, but it was like a cis white guy. Okay. He was an old gentleman, and he just seemed a little like, I don't want to judge, but, and he was like, hey, them, what's that? Oh, my. Well, I'm non-binary, you know. He goes, are a lot of people doing that these days? <laughs> uh, yes, in fact, they are. I was like, I was like well, more than you think. <laughs> And we ended up having a really great like 15 minute conversation about gender and pronouns and not assuming and he was very receptive and appreciated that I took the time to have a conversation with him and to educate him and to correct him so I think again coming back like as long as we're it well it sucks that we have to be polite <laughs> sometimes you don't want to be I think having educated calm conversations with people in order to make change is really important and I think restaurateurs and managers and owners should be pivoting towards not using gender uh in greetings and also change the signs on your fucking bathrooms. Hey. <laughs> there the it bathroom is. is so awkward for me. Like mm -hmm. I get I've been physically pulled out of restrooms before. Okay. I've been told I'm in the wrong place. Like I've gotten into many a silly conversation. I know more about bathroom, like, building codes than any normal person should who oh, doesn't wow. work with, like, plumbing. Yeah, there's there's a whole lot that goes into, like, um, especially on, like, college campuses or other large buildings around, like, what legally is required for the literal holes, like, the plumbing holes that exist in bathrooms. And, like, that in and of itself is its own big monstrous silly thing that gets in the way of being able to do something as simple as switch signs i do see a lot of restaurants coffee shops other types of establishments that have figured it out and like done whatever they've needed to do to make that work and that's highly appreciated and it's you know it's still not where it needs to be and it's just one of those things that folks don't think about and i think that you know when it comes to like food service you know especially the uh you know caricature if you will of high like high fine dining right is that like it'd be a huge culture shift to kind of like move away from this very like primp and proper you know yes ma'am no ma'am type greeting or just kind of a certain level of hospitality um and i see plenty of people take that shit up then well right? i'm saying i'm seeing plenty of people you know shake that up i read a lot of memoirs by chefs and i'm always really just like taken aback by just how casually they talk about kind of just this really rigorous kind of like vitriolic environment in kitchens and i'm just like you're not making it sound appealing <laughs> like this it's definitely changing yes yeah and it's i just think it's that rigor that kind of just makes it like how you know it's a, it's such this interesting contradiction of just like folks definitely queer and trans folks being so saturated in food service and other like service industry roles mm -hmm. and then kind of what is the highlighted like mainstream version of what we understand right like who is pedestalized and who kind of has the the microphone at this moment and how it does need to shift right that's why I love folks like Justin Sutherland and Kristen Kirsch and you know some of these like emerging kind of uh, non-traditional if you will chefs mm -hmm. who are kind of I think being very public with like we don't have to do things the way they've always been done we need to be highlighting oh. BIPOC chefs and food makers we need to be pedestalizing queer and trans makers so I feel like we're headed in a really good direction I do too. And, and you know, I, I think there's been a, a lot of great shifts and there's been a lot of great things happening. And like, honestly, it's, I think COVID kind of like shook a lot of things up. Oh yeah. We like really step back and like re-examine the way restaurants were running and the way things are being done and who to highlight and sh sh share victories, not share victories, but like to promote and highlight and the way the culture was and mental health in restaurants and yes. all the things that you had mentioned as well. Like, mm -hmm. even though COVID destroyed a lot of places, I think it opened up a lot of conversations on how the restaurant industry needs to change for the better mm -hmm. because yeah. it was like, yeah, it just, it was, it was a mess. But yeah, there is I no think, complacency in COVID anymore. Like you cannot coast on it for sure. No. And I think people are being more vocal and speaking out and mm -hmm. talking about those changes. And it's really a beautiful thing to see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I like, I like, I hope that I can be, you know, at the table and a part of those conversations as mm -hmm. well. Well, it seems like you're already doing it, right? So let's talk about the, this, you know, casual little thing you did called the Big Brunch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hosted by the one and only, like, gay icon, Dan Levy. Like, hello. Um, He's so again, great. I <laughs> He's so great. 
Um, I, I texted you this, but just I'll name it again for the folks listening. Like, truly the most wholesome competition show, especially cooking competition show I've ever seen. And um, it's it's on HBO Max. Folks absolutely need to watch it. But let's um, let's talk a little bit about that. There's a couple things for sure. Sure to get into with that. Let's just like let's talk about how you even ended up there and what some of your like highlight real experiences were it was wild man um i did one cooking competition show like i think like 10 years ago it was one episode hello it was cutthroat kitchen you can you can yes yeah the episode is called called, uh the truck stops here but and i was like yeah i'm good i don't really need to do that again it was fine whatever and then a friend of mine sent the application to me in facebook messenger Okay. And I, her name is Brooke, by the way, little Brooke, if you're listening. Um, And I was like, and I, I was like, nah, I'm good. But then I like read about, uh, you know, who was behind it, what the concept was, um, that it was about giving back, that it was about community. And it wasn't just like about a cutthroat competition. And yeah. I was like, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, I applied. I went through a pretty rigorous uh, uh what, what do you call it? like not trial but like there is a lot of steps to get to sure. the finale right sure. through a lot of processes and i just kept making it the next I round so. yeah the next, round, the next round and then eventually i got the call and they were like hey you're gonna be on yeah we're gonna be there in a week to film your hometown story and i was like what the fuck? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so and it all happened very quickly um and they came they filmed filmed my hometown story and then like two days later I flew to LA where we quarantined in hotel rooms for five days and during that quarantine we weren't allowed to leave um because you know it was still like COVID was I mean let's be honest COVID is still a thing for sure COVID was like more so a thing yeah it was like it's yeah you couldn't if you tested positive you weren't on the show so we were quarantined during that quarantine the fire alarm in the hotel went off and i'm like uh do i leave do i stay do i leave do i stay what do i do i just stayed in my room but i i know some of the other castmates like i'm not risking this for a fire i'm not going nowhere oh so i just stayed in my room um but yeah and then you know and then we we started filming and it was a wild crazy ride I can really stuck on the fire and just imagining you just like, crazy. I was like, like I will not be moving I wouldn't have gone either I just I was I like, what do I do I'm not supposed not. to be what if I get COVID I was like well if it's a real emergency I'll know sure <laughs> so I'm just gonna like I'm gonna like hang out for a minute and see what happens <laughs> Um, so there's a couple of things about the show that I think we could pick out one thing I want to start sure. at um, start at is that so like each chef testant right like kind of was asked or kind of the storyline around through the through the episodes was kind of you had this big big dream idea and that the winner of the show would get money towards kind of actualizing that idea and your big idea um was geneva house and so i definitely want to talk a bit about that because i'm in love with it and i know your website currently says it's in progress which is kind of how all projects go so i'm just curious like talking about the idea behind that kind of how that like manifested in your head and like what you know where is it at or what what is it turning into well, I've, I, you know, ever since I was 16, like, I always had this idea of creating a safe place uh, yeah. for kids because I, like, I don't want to say I never felt safe, but, like, I never felt safe, if that makes sense. Yep, it does. Right? Like, a super loving home, but I always felt like I was different or I would get found out. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted, like, ever since I was a little kid, not little, but like a young teenager, an environment where kids that felt like me could go so it's always been in the back of my mind um and I wanted to call the Geneva house after my grandmother my mom's mom who ironically always was trying to put me in dresses but <laughs> so it's, asked, a sl- it's a slightly petty nod to someone you appreciate <laughs> petty I, I I think if she was still with us she would she would be on board um but what I want that, you know, it, it evolved in different stages over time, but what I, what I envision it now being, and what I have envisioned it being for, for a very long time now is a place for whole body nourishment for mm-hmm. focusing primarily on queer and trans kids. Everybody's welcome, but primarily focusing yes. on queer and trans kids 
Um, and it's, again, it's whole body nourishment um, that has a little deli attached to it where they can have a job, they can be in a safe place, they can learn a skill set, mm. uh, and then they can take that and they can go someplace else with it, um, or they continue to work inside the space as well but then also offering like hey this is the best binder to use right mm -hmm. and this is how you like appropriately bind yourself if this is something you want to do. these are doctors who are going to refer to your genitalia the way that you want your privates mm -hmm. and the way that you are comfortable they're going to ask you first right they're not just going to assume um, and then also bring in doctors teachers lawyers people in the community and educate them as well yeah because i think it's just having hard somewhat uncomfortable awkward conversations with people to get them to really understand um, what it feels like to potentially be in the body that you don't feel like you're supposed to be in or to feel like you don't belong or just not sure who the fuck yeah. you are you know <laughs> yeah and so i want to create this environment um to not only nourish with food um, but to also nourish the mind as well mm -hmm. um, I, yeah yeah so where it's at right now, it's still an idea. Um, you know, I had a really big life change. I moved to New moved to Los Angeles yeah. and still trying to get my my footing and my bearings here and make connections. Um, but I do think it's something that can happen and will mm -hmm. happen. Um, it just, you know, it just hasn't yet. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the inherent complexity of doing things that center and prioritize queer and trans folks is that it crops up in such untraditional ways, right? The pathways that are available for kind of anyone else to like start a small business or kind of start some kind of like quasi center space, right? Like it's not as simple as someone who wants to, I think about where I live, there's been probably one or two breweries open every single year that I've been here and for six years consecutively and um, not any affordable housing or there's certainly not an LGBTQ center where I live, right? Um, and just the the inherent queerness of kind of just creating space where it doesn't already exist or where you kind of have to like push, um, push in and make that happen. And then also have the bandwidth and the capacity mentally and physically yourself to kind of like fulfill and like complete something that would have so many significant implications, right? Like there's a lot of weight in the responsibility of creating space for queer and trans people, right? As a conference planner and a podcaster and a educator myself, right? Just like there's stress there because ultimately you're never gonna satisfy everybody because our communities are just so expansive. Like it's not really a community, it's a multifaceted cluster of them. Yeah, well, it's expansive and it's also divided, which yeah. really bums me out. Yeah, it really bums me out. Like we're all on some sp spectrum of queer, right? Why can't we all just like get along? <laughs> you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you're right. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely know that that I'm gonna get there. I'm just yes. not sure when, and I'm taking baby steps by volunteering at uh, nonprofits. For uh, I'm currently volunteering and teaching some cooking lessons at a organization in Los Angeles called Safe Place for Youth. Um, and so just getting the, the foundation, the foundation going mm -hmm. is where I'm at right now. And I got to make some connections out here. I had a really hard time. Um, I didn't have a hard time moving to Los Angeles. It was sure. a very easy place, but <laughs> I, but I struggled with not, I, I mourned the idea and the loss of not opening up Geneva house, but not potentially opening up in Columbus where it would be so. Sure. valuable needed sure. not saying that it wouldn't happen there but just like not right now you know what i mean sure. yeah 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 but yeah that's kind of where it's at um, baby steps getting my my footing here um i have people that i'm working with as potential board members and we're just kind of like planning and as long as i think you know the priority at that point i think is making yourself happy right i've been planning this conference for ex as an example, right, like, a, you know, an additional space that tries to gather queer and trans youth together to be affirmed and comfortable and learn a thing or two and be in connection with each other. Like, I, so I totally get and just so and like vibe and align so much with kind of that idea of just bringing them in to be in such an important space because there's, even though so much has progressed, like, there's still such a lack of just, like, again, those spaces that center and prioritize queer and trans knowledge and skill and life so explicitly um, is that, like, it's always going to feel personal. 
um, right. doing this work because it's so attached to a, a significant piece of who we are as people. Like it all feels personal, even if the actual issues boil down to kind of the average things that come with running a business or running a large event or, you know, planning something with a group of people, communication, difference of opinion, navigating conflict. Like those are all kind of the like baseline things, but it always feels so much more amplified and big deal and personal because it is a representation of who we are, not just something that like we're interested in or, you know, a job that we have to do. And that feels so different. Oh, for sure. And so many people oftentimes try to tell us that like we, you're not allowed to, or you can't, or mm -hmm. that's not possible. And so then it's more personal because you've already been told no, 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 so right. many times, or you're mm -hmm. not allowed, or you can't. So it becomes, yeah, it becomes mm -hmm. personal pretty quickly. Yeah. But I think if we can set the personal side and look at the grander and the larger picture of like, hey, we're all just trying to come together to figure this out for everybody. And, you know, and I think something like that requires the time and attention it needs to be be the right moment and the right thing it needs to be at the time, right? Like an idea like that is obviously very needed and necessary. And because of all the struggles that queer and trans folks have to go through with creating things, finding the capital for things, finding the right people at the right time to make something happen, you know, everything takes longer for us. I feel like just based on it's its, its own kind of like trans tax on time of just like right. how long it's going to take to create something. I've, you know, I have so many trans kin who are like, I feel like I should be at a different place by now with this benchmarking against like cis straight people. And that is unfortunately just not a benchmark that is going to make sense for us because we have to convince people about things differently. And, you know, I need no convincing. I think Geneva House sounds bomb as fuck and needs to exist. And there needs to be one in every, um, every Midwest town or wherever, just like, it, there's just so much to that, that I think is so yeah. necessary, especially I think the focus on like equipping young folks with like information around food and informed choices around food. I think a lot about like my own, you know, narrative, if you will, around like my, like food, my cooking, like experiences and gender and sexuality experiences. Like I had to teach myself everything. I became a mm -hmm. vegetarian in high school and nobody thought that that was going to stick. And almost 20 years later, I'm still a vegetarian. <laughs> um, so I had to learn a lot. Like I had to teach myself a whole, whole lot if I wanted to eat something more than mashed potatoes and salads at home. And so like mm -hmm. that feels like such an extended metaphor for how I had to like seek out and find possibility models myself or like end up at college yeah. like I said away from home and kind of figure out like everything was DIY everything was figuring it out myself food yeah. and friends and community and connections so like I know that's a big deal I think for young folks who especially like maybe on their own earlier than you know cis straight children who may be moving out of their house either because they need to or because they want to it's just not a vibe right just like that's yeah. such an important skill set um and yeah. is so important to teach people and, and yeah, no, 100% on the head. And like, you know, I envision there being like the, the classes to like, oh, this is what you get from the pantry this week. This is how I'm going to show you turn it into like 15 different meals. Yes. And then once you cook this, we're going to show you how to turn this into leftovers so you can eat the same thing twice, but in a different way. So you're not yes. bored. And classes and education in that way. Um, I think it's really important. And if I had the funding today, I would be doing it today. But like you said, it takes us all a little bit longer to get there. So, But it will emerge at the time it needs to happen for the people it needs yeah. to happen to. Mm -hmm, yeah, I think, I think so. yeah. it's, it, you know, it gets really, it gets really, you get so restless because like, this is such a good idea. Why is it not? Because society, because capitalism, <laughs> it always comes back to capitalism. Like that's why. <laughs> yeah, it just it's gonna take a little longer, and mm -hmm. I need to be a little bit louder. And um, but I really feel in my soul that it's something that's gonna come to fruition. So absolutely. Um, and I guess also just like how hopefully powerful and important it was to be able to kind of speak to that and speak to the need for that on a on a television show right or streaming show I guess we're not calling it television shows anymore um yeah. right just like being able to kind of put that into the a like in space with what was also one of the queerest like casts of people on a reality show I think I've seen just like so much queerness there's about three of us, yeah well there's <laughs> three three queer contestants and then you know Dan and then yeah. not only that but like there are so many queer people around us on set too yeah good and it just like the production company um just did and dan because i know dan had so much to do with all that but just made it such a safe space 
for everyone, not just the people on the show that are queer and lesbian, but for everyone. And I think that to his benefit is what made us kind of like relax and is what mm-hmm. why you got what you got from us because we all felt comfortable to be a hundred percent totally ourselves. Mm-hmm. We felt supported out the rip. And all of the castmates, you know, every single person that competed on that show gave back to the community and was mm-hmm. inherently a good person. Yeah. So like you know, it was a competition. We were competing, but at the same time, we were like becoming this beautiful family and loving each other and accepting each other and helping each other. Um, and it's because of the environment that was created for us to play in, and it was really beautifully done. And I'm so appreciative to Dan and Sola and to Will and to the and to the entire HBO Max family and the in the Boardwalk Pictures. Um, for giving us that moment and those moments because it like really seriously fucking changed my life good yeah like like i've said it is so wholesome it was so wholesome to watch right from the viewer perspective like all of that translated and came through every time i watched an episode i kept forgetting it was a competition and i was like wait no someone has to leave fuck that like no (laughs) stop it um yeah it just and just to to know that like that was that was the same experience from like the chef testament perspective i yep. think is so important it was real shit. it was real shit like what you saw was like not was not an act we all yeah. love each other like i text with those guys almost every single day like Aww. yeah like jay sent me a voice memo today like i checked in on roman because he's working on a grant for his place right now like yes. and, yeah like i i email <laughs> I write letters and postcards to them sometimes so they get like snail mail and stuff. Like we fucking love each other. We love each other. Just this like precious little like brunch cohort, I feel like was created. And just that's yeah. just so cute. I, I saw too, I know it was probably a couple months ago now, but you and Danielle had done a was it like a live stream of your filthy biscuits, which was the oh, most yeah. hilarious. <laughs> filthy biscuits is now my favorite, my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was really fun. I want to do another one with her. Yes. Um, I call her Danielle, my onion. And she knows this, but um, the first day we like the first day we weren't allowed to talk to each other. Oh, first like bit of time because they wanted to capture it in real time they wanted to capture all of us like interacting for the first time in real time and you know you're kind of sizing everybody up because you don't know what this competition is going to be you know it's different you know it's going to be something different and fun but like you don't know yet and i saw danielle and she knows it totally judged her i did the thing that people do to me and i feel really shitty about it but like each day that i spent with her she just kept getting more and more awesome (laughs) And I was like, I call her my onion because she has so many amazing, beautiful layers to her. And she is one of my most favorite humans. And I love her to death. She's a badass. I want every... She's a fucking badass, dude. (laughs) Like, her business savvy and what she's been able to do with the exposure and, you know, what she was able to... Like, she lost her job and then just, like, turned this, like, side hustle into this, like crazy business that's delicious thoughtful gives back to the community she treats her employees so incredibly well she's a fucking badass like she's a badass (laughs) i love her yeah i was rooting for everybody on that show again i was just like nobody can be eliminated this is too like this is too everybody's too connected everybody's just like building off each other's energy a big brunch energy big brunch energy (laughs) I love that. Um, yeah. What was your favorite, like, what was your favorite moment, either, like, on screen or off screen with the show that you're allowed to talk about? Um, I think I have a top three. Um, Let's go. Making family meal together. Okay. I love mm-hmm. that we got to make family meal together. Uh, it really, it changed the dynamic in the group for the better. It's mm-hmm. when we really started to, like, merge and become one. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we were, we were, cooking for each other you know we were treating each other we were caring for each other in this way that we weren't getting um and then obviously when dan freaked out over the filthy biscuits i mean come on (laughs) (laughs) and wasn't my favorite moment at the time but it has turned into something very valuable for me that i hold close to my heart is my moment 
what I was self-deprecating in the judge's room. Um, and uh, he was like, hey, fucking stop that. And gave me this really beautiful lesson um, that really changed my perspective on a lot of things in a lot of ways. That's so solid. Yeah, yeah. I remember all of those. Yes, Filthy Biscuits. And yeah, that was a significant moment. And I remember, <laughs> I remember I was like, I vibe with your humor so much, right? Just like very like sassy, sarcastic, like that is, yeah. that is it for sure. And I was like, oh my God, if anybody ever called me out like that, I just like crumble. And especially it being Dan Levy, I was just like, I don't even know what you're doing right now in your head. Like I can't even yeah. imagine. It was, it was a hard, it was hard because yeah. like, you know what they what they know a lot about the contestants and and yeah. you know a lot of things that happened to them and their backstories. But like I come off of like a really hard two years. I lost yes, my restaurant. Um, had a huge falling out with my business partner, who was my best friend at the time, and we yeah. don't speak anymore. There was a family situation that happened that was really difficult. My partner uh, had broken up with me all within a very short period of time. And I was incredibly depressed. I was suicidal. Um, I still had not come out as non-binary, which I'm sure was a huge part of the issue because I was holding all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, building up. Yeah. And building up. And like when I had gotten on the show, a lot of my confidence had come back, but not all my confidence had come back. And I was still yeah. working through a lot of things. And there was something that had happened um, that I don't like, can't really divulge mm -hmm. that shook me that day. Um, and I was off, I was just like off my game and so I was more self-deprecating than usual. So, um, it was hard. It was really hard to hear it, but I needed to hear it mm -hmm. because it was so true. And it was so factual. Like, like I am good at my job. I like, I did deserve to be there. My food was delicious. Like I needed to believe in myself in order for others to believe in me as well yeah. and it hit home super hard and I'm glad like it sucked it was a little embarrassing but like I'm glad I'm glad that it happened and coming off that as well a lot of people have messaged me saying how that moment helped them too mm -hmm. and so like that's just a really great blessing also I mean, it's a big fucking deal, you know, and I, every person has self-doubts. Every person is going to have that negative feedback loop. Like that's, you know, it's a relatively common experience in general. Queer and trans people, like we, we do not want to give ourselves like the grace and the flowers that we, because huh. we're so used to being pushed on and pushed out and pushed back on. on. Oh yeah. yeah. So it's just like, well, I guess if everyone else like, is going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, feel like we're worth anything. And then yes. there's all this inner self-doubt. Yep. So I'm gonna beat you to it, and I'll just rag on myself first. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I get that. First, so you can't do it, and then I yeah. don't feel really as bad about it. But like, we are beautiful, mm -hmm. and we do deserve a seat at the table, and we do deserve mm -hmm. to be seen. And so, like, I'm so grateful that I was able to have that opportunity to like show up and be visible for other non-binary trans mm -hmm. folks that like haven't seen anybody like themselves before yeah. someone who wasn't willing to be vulnerable about where they went and where they are now. Um, and I take that, I take that as a very large responsibility and sure. it means a lot to me. It would not have hit the same if like there was a cis straight person on that like judging panel who would have said that to you. Cause I would have been like, you don't know what you're talking about for someone in community, right. For Dan Levy to say someone who has probably gone through those same types of loops of just like as a queer person like xyz has happened and so i'm going to put myself down first like i it hits so different for that mm -hmm. because it was you know it was public and it was on screen and it was there for everyone to see and that moment was just between two queer people and would only is only going to make sense to a certain level of depth i think to other queer people it will mean something for a lot of people and there's a level of depth to that that i think just really means something because queer people need to you know lift each other up in that way because we're so accustomed just being like i don't deserve this or i'm not as good at this and that that i think just added a whole nother yeah finesse, well, it's so, so many we don't we don't get to, we don't get the thanks no right we don't right. get the things so much because yeah. of our gender, our sexuality, how we present and who we mm -hmm. are. And so, yeah, it, it, it hit, it hit mm -hmm. hard, but like, mm -hmm. it made me more confident in a way. It made me like more vocal. It, it, it did a lot of things for me. Like I, it gave me the courage to move to Los Angeles. Um, 
That's a big so, deal. <laughs> well, that and uh, a very special lady. But uh, oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you want to name about the show that was just like uh, those were your highlights? I know, but yeah, the... those were the highlights. I mean, do you have any questions about the show? So let's see. There was one challenge that unfortunately you did not get to do. We already kind of spoiled that, like you didn't get all the way through the the challenges, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> there's one I was curious about just for funsies to kind of like head us towards maybe wrap up um uh there's a crossover challenge and so they brought in like create the creator of the cronut croissant slash donut and then wanted folks to kind of create their own kind of crossover you know mushmash situation and I was yeah. curious if you had any thoughts about either one that you'd want to create or one that you maybe want to see just exist you think that someone maybe if it's not you needs to create this thing this crossover I have no fucking idea um <laughs> I when I watched that challenge on tv I was like man I would have been fucked like I I really I I don't know what I would have done um I you know I was very much playing into the midwestern food uh which is definitely like my style so I probably would have figured out a way to mesh like a Taco Bell play with a Pizza Hut play in some way she could perform um and deep fried it (laughs) (laughs) done yep that's and maybe put it on a stick like just yeah and like maybe put it on a stick and like I called it some sort of like carnival fair food I I don't, I, oh, actually, no, that's not a bad idea. Um, You're welcome. Maybe some sort of, like, now that I'm thinking about it, some sort of, like, corn doggy type thing. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I I would have, I, I, I would have been fucked. That's a dope <laughs> challenge. And I sat there wondering, like, I wouldn't even know. Because in my brain, I was <laughs> like, huh? Do that challenge. You know, because the first thing everybody made, like, it was a flop. And so they, like, yes. had to They did have to redo it. Yeah. yeah yeah some playing it safe I think were some of the comments there yeah my my brain was like because you know I like to play along <laughs> in my brain I was like maybe like a crepe slash waffle but then I was like I think that would just be a waffle house waffle because their waffles are very thin but I yeah. will fuck up a waffle house too, waffle any day <laughs> too similar to like a crepe and a like a crepe and a waffle are very like mm-hmm. it's just a difference in batter really exactly exactly so. but I was like I'd roll it up and eat it but that's definitely a waffle house waffle at that point <laughs> something rolled stuffed with cheese on a stick deep fried midwestern Done. Done. Some <laughs> no idea <laughs> yes i i definitely loved and appreciated and knew that i was just like we are we are very aligned just like because didn't you do like a mcdonald's play like a yeah a... it didn't it didn't work um and i know now why it didn't work um you know but when you're in those moments you're like yeah and it's crazy well, it's not your own kitchen and everything's you different there's nerves going on you are you gonna go home first and so yeah i try to do a mcdonald's hash brown and i can do them and i've done them before um but i just like put it in the fridge instead of putting it in the freezer had i put it in the freezer it would have molded and it would have been fine i did like a dish that i called 80s mom vibe mm. um i did a corned beef hash i don't think they showed it um yeah yeah just very just across the board I I like to call it fat kid food anything yeah. that's like any of that that was all fat kid food very much reminiscent of like anything you'd get in the midwest I was like yep that I know exactly where you're not exactly because I didn't grow up in a Pentecostal household with a garden in the back but um I generally knew exactly where all that food was coming from and I was like yes yes and yes mm-hmm. <laughs> 10 out of 10 well, friend, I could do this for hours. Um, so I don't really have like a big, bright, brilliant, like end of conversation question, but just kind of going to leave space for you to like add any or name anything or share anything that you might want to add before we end this recording. Um, yeah. Uh, well, if you find yourself in Los Angeles, I would highly recommend that you come visit me at All Day Baby in Silver Lake. I've just uh, recently accepted the chef position there and I'm really Exciting. excited um what's their uh, thing oh it's it's me it's like it's, it's like it's so me it's like super queer friendly there's a lot of queer trans non-binary folks working there the food is like super comfort food they've got phenomenal biscuits there's like banana cream pie peanut butter pie like brunch like a brunch vibe 
Uh, we're going to work on the dinner program a little bit. Right now they're doing a Vietnamese pop-up, but I think we're going to shift into something that I'm is more in my wheelhouse. Okay. Um, so you should definitely check it out. Um, the owners are really great. They give back a lot to the community as well. Um, totally aligned there. Which I'm really pumped about. Um, and then if you ever find yourself wanting to donate to an organization similar to the Geneva House, until I get mine up and running, um, <laughs> I do a lot of work with Safe Place for Youth, mm-hmm. which is a nonprofit for um, um, kids who have aged out of the foster system um, or are unhoused, mostly focusing on BIPOC, queer, and trans kids. Um, so I do do cooking lessons for them right now, which is so cool. really fun. I'm really, really pumped about it. Good. Well, this has been splendid. I'm so glad we were able to chat. Great. Yes. Thank you so much. Yes. Take the Last Bite is made possible by the volunteer labor of the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity staff. Our larger work is sustained by the contributions of grassroots donors. If you would like to support the life-saving work of empowering, connecting, and educating Midwest queer and trans communities, please consider setting up a monthly or one-time donation at sgbinstitute.org backslash giving or hitting that green donate button on our website's homepage. Our inbox is open for all of your insight, feedback, questions, boycotts, memes, and other forms of written correspondence. You can contact us at lastbite at sgdinstitute.org. Particular shout out to Justin, Andy, Nick, Danielle, and Michelle for all of your support with editing, promotion, transcripts, and production. Our amazing and queer as fuck cover art was designed by Adrian McCormick. <laughs>